Heavenly Father, we are thankful as we're gathered here that we have heard and seen with our own eyes the power of your continued spirit in our day, that as you have promised, while we are not children of yours by birth, all of us can be children of yours by grace, that if we can accept about ourselves that we are in need of you, that you stand ready and willing to forgive us. We thank you for your patience toward us, and Father, I just especially thank you for the work that you've done in the lives of these four men, that they desire to not keep it a secret, but to proclaim it as people in love with you and desiring to share that with others. As we come before your word now, we pray that you would give us open minds and hearts to hear a message that you would have for us. Father, we ask you to do what only your spirit can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome to Lakeside Christian Church. So far, so good, right? Tons to be thankful for. I invite you to open a Bible, if you have one, to Matthew chapter 23. If you're using one of the Bibles that's been provided for you, you'll find it on page 828. And for this morning, we are going to begin in verse 29 of chapter 23. So again, you'll find it on page 829, Matthew chapter 23 and verse 29. If we could begin imagining... Uh, if you will, almost a practical joke. If you were trying to, to trip somebody up and, and mess with them a little bit, the easiest way to keep somebody heading the wrong direction is to make them think they're not. So that if somebody wanted to play a game with you, if you will, and they could get your GPS system and they could tweak it a little bit so that when you typed in wherever you're going, if they wanted to get you going the wrong direction, the most effective way that they could do that is to persuade you that you are, in fact, going the right way. I'm not a visual person at all, so I have a hard time when I go to a new place remembering, especially if it's a large parking lot, where I parked my car. And so I had the experience last year of going to the Cleveland Zoo, which has multiple parking lots, and being sent out by Amy to go just get something real quick. We were near the entrance, so could you go get something and, and bring it back to me? Sure. And what was supposed to be a five-minute experience turned into a 45-minute experience because it took me several lots to remember where I was. And I have that experience every time I go into a downtown area and I'm in a parking deck. Because even if I can remember something visually, you know, engineers and architects of parking decks don't throw a whole lot of creativity. Each floor looks exactly the same. And so I think I'm on the right road and I keep walking and it takes me a long time to find out where I'm going. But it's always the easiest to stay lost when I think I'm, I'm almost there. I know it's, it's somewhere here. It has to be right here. And if there is a, a God and a devil, a heaven and a hell, the most dangerous thing that you and I can believe is that we are on the way to heaven when we are not. If there is a God and a devil, a heaven and a hell, the most dangerous thing that you and I could believe today is that we are on our way to heaven when we are not. 
And because that is the most dangerous thing that you and I can believe, when we turn to Matthew chapter 23, we see the strongest language that Jesus ever used. Because he is confronting people who think that they are on their way, and they are not. And so when we read this passage, you will notice, and actually in this part of chapter 23, it's already been strong language all the way throughout, but here it gets even harsher, it gets even stronger, because Jesus is seeking to warn people who think they're on the right road when they are not. And we do well to listen to the wisdom of Jesus for those who are missing the mark. So if you will, follow along in verse 29 and we'll read to the end. Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some whom you will kill and crucify, some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of the innocent Abel to the blood of Zechariah the son of Barakiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not see your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This concludes our reading for today. So here is Jesus looking at the scribes and the Pharisees who think they are on the right road and they are not. And he begins by highlighting for them one of the biggest areas where they're missing the mark, where they're deceived. When they look back in their history in verses 29 and 30, they're honest about some of the sins of their fathers, their ancestors, the people that preceded them. They can look back and say, you know, they weren't perfect people. But what they fail to acknowledge is that any sin that was committed before them by their mothers and their fathers and their ancestors is something which they themselves are capable of doing. And one of the first things that you and I have to accept in order to get on the right road is to acknowledge that the possibility of every sin is in our heart. The possibility of every conceivable sin is in your heart and mine. So that when we crack open a newspaper and we read a story that to us sounds bizarre, could you imagine someone doing this to their children or doing this to their neighbor or doing this to their employer, whatever it is, 
when we read those stories, we ask ourselves, yeah, how do you get there? How does someone get to the point of stealing that much money, of abusing someone to that extent? And when we peel back a little bit, we recognize that people are making decisions out of anger, out of insecurity, feeling cornered, out of hatred, out of greed or pride. And when we begin to think of the the heart issues that are going on in the lives of people that they are acting upon, and we look honestly in a mirror, we say, I know what it's like to feel that at times. I know what it's like to think that at times. We all might have discovered it at a different time and a different age, but I believe it's true of all of us that we have shocked ourselves with what has popped into our head. Haven't you? Just been surprised to look into a mirror and say, I can't believe I thought that. And when you recognize that that is true, you say of yourself, maybe what separates me from the person who did what I was thinking was simply the action. They acted upon what they were thinking, but they have not had a thought that has not in some form, even if it's just in the beginning stages, been something that I have dwelt on in my heart. And these Pharisees don't want to acknowledge that about the sins of their fathers. They look back and say, no, 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 no. If we would have been around, we wouldn't have been tempted. We wouldn't have failed. We wouldn't have struggled. We wouldn't have sinned. And they fail to acknowledge that the possibility of every conceivable sin dwells in their heart. Which is why when we hear testimonies of some that are very young or some that are very old, the testimony of the heart issue is the same. But you don't have to get very old before you acknowledge there's, there's a defect and there needs to be a recall on your human heart. Like is now popular with a, a lot of cars today, you'll hear a, a report that says, hey, if you own this vehicle, bring it back into the shop. There's something defective in the way it was manufactured. Now you, as an owner of that car, can say, well, it hasn't happened yet to me. I think mine is Okay. And those who've experienced it are in the shop. They're there. They say, yep, I get it. Somebody was accusing me of bad driving. It's not just bad driving. There is something wrong with how this was put together. And so this needs to get fixed. And you and I, hearing the same report about our own lives, can say, do we want to wait until it manifests itself in its fullness And the pedal either gets stuck to the floor or the thing falls off while we're 70 miles on the freeway. Or in hearing that there is something broken, in experiencing that in our own thought life, are we willing to hear our creator's prescription for how to have a new heart and a new life? But this the Pharisees struggled with. They could not acknowledge that the possibility of every human sin was inside of them. And so they themselves thought they were on the right road. They thought by trusting in their own righteousness and claiming to be better than they were, claiming to be without sin, not battling like other people, that they were on the right road. And so Jesus comes to them and he says, he calls them serpents and vipers, saying, how are you going to escape being sentenced? You are trusting in your own self to save you 
when you know better than anybody that you can't save yourself. You are trusting in what you know better than anybody else here can't save you. No one else next to you can see what you're thinking, what you were thinking yesterday, or what you've done in your life. And so they might be fooled about you or about me, but you shouldn't be. I shouldn't be fooled about myself. I know what goes on in the war that rages inside of my heart. And if I really believe that the possibility of every human sin rests in my heart and so it is defective and I need a new one, if the story ends there, then there's no good news. We just acknowledge about each other that we're all broken, that we're all struggling, that we can't save ourselves. But Jesus doesn't leave the message there. He goes on and tells the Pharisees that the heart of God is that even though we are wandering away from him, he is pursuing us. Even though there is something in our hearts that is running away from him and not willing to acknowledge our sin, he is pursuing us. And he describes in verse 34 all the ways in which he has tried to get his message to these people. He says in verse 34, I send you prophets and wise men, scribes, and some you kill and crucify and some you'll flog and persecute. But he's saying to them, even though you struggle to acknowledge the possibility of your sin, and you feel like you have to put on a show and act like you're stronger than you are and you're better than you are. My heart toward you is that I love you and I'm sending messengers to you. I'm trying to get across something to you, a point to you. And that's something that you also might be experiencing that nobody else right now could be aware of. That though you have wandered from God, though you have rebelled against him, though you struggle to acknowledge the reality of sin and its consequences, you also can't escape the feeling that you're being pursued. You just can't escape the feeling that at certain times somebody gives you a phone call that you weren't expecting, asking how you're doing, inviting you to something sharing a scripture with you or a message that in, in all the messiness of what you're experiencing, you, you in your heart and mind know that there is something that you should do, that God is after you. And Jesus uses this very strong and firm language with them now because what he desires is that they would enjoy fellowship and friendship with him for all of eternity. Jesus is firm with them now because it's his purpose for their life that they would enjoy a relationship with him for all of eternity. And that's God's purpose for you and for me. He sees things from an eternal perspective and he wants you and I to be with him forever. And to do that, he is willing in the here and now to even scare us off of the wrong road. To get us heading back into the right direction. C.S. Lewis once said that all of us talk about progress and wanting to make progress, but before we can talk about how to make progress, we have to know what the goal is. Because if we know what the goal is and we realize we're on the wrong road, then progress sometimes is heading backwards. Progress is actually turning around. Progress is not going faster. It's not trying harder. It's not just pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. That's the wrong road. Trusting in yourself or myself is what is sending us to the condition that Jesus describes that we will not, if we are trusting in ourselves, escape the consequences 
of our sins forever. And so the messengers come and they came to the Pharisees and the Pharisees rejected them. And so Jesus, then if, if you were following along in the Pew Bible, the section beginning in verse 37 was titled A Lament Over Jerusalem. And where we see something really scary about each and every one of our human hearts, we see something truly profound about the heart of God that he cried to lament is to, to cry out in grief or in anguish. And he cried out. Now turning away from the people, as he's given them a very clear message, he looks upon them all and looks on the whole city and he cries out saying, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not. But in this cry we see what Ezekiel said of God that he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. The God that we serve, the God that we worship who has given us his word and sent his son has made clear that he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. No matter how great our sin, no matter how corrupt our hearts, it brings God and he has no desire to remove us. He desires to redeem us. He desires to reclaim us, to save us. And that his own heart is broken and cries out when you and I refuse and choose not to embrace what he desires to do into our hearts. And so he makes a prophetic description as chapters 24 and 25 go on about what will happen to this group of people who have rejected the heart of God in pursuing them and said, thank you, but we will choose to trust in ourselves and not in you. And it's a sad picture of what happens to the Pharisees and to the city just years later that Jesus predicted before it ever happened. And you and I have to translate this story to our own day. For the Pharisees, in large measure, they failed to change. They heard the message. They had the best pastor teacher that the world has ever seen. He gave the best sermon that ever could have been given to them. He spoke as clearly as anybody could ever speak about their condition and their solution to their condition. And they failed to change. And we have to ask ourselves, do we believe this same message for us today? One of the best arguments for the Bible is that to me it is the book that speaks most truthfully about my heart. It's the book that's willing to be most honest with me about the condition of my own heart. It tells me straight up what I've known and experienced that the possibility of every sin does dwell in my heart. But while it shows me that, it does not leave me or you there and it reveals to us a God who cries over our sin, who laments over our rebellion in our refusal to acknowledge him. And the very person here who is delivering the sermon is the very person who provides through his death on our behalf the solution to our sin. 
See, Jesus was able to be harsh with them and firm with them because he himself, only days later from this, was going to offer his own life and receive on himself the consequences of their sin on their behalf. And he presents still today as the resurrected Savior to each and every one of us that good news. And he asks us and invites us to choose to follow him. He has so ordered things that he will move and act. He will send and preach and teach. But he will not force. He will not coerce. He will invite you and for me to embrace all that he has done and is willing to do on our behalf. And so we're faced with a choice. We can bend our knee, as C.S. Lewis said, now and say to God, your will be done. Or we can choose not to bend our knee and he will say to us, when our life is done, your will be done. But that's the choice. We can, in the here and now, bend our knee and look up to the Father who loved us enough to send His Son and say, your will be done. We give our lives, our hearts to you, as we've just heard the testimony of four who've come to that conclusion, that they acknowledge the sin in their own heart and that Jesus Christ alone was the solution. Or if we fail to change, we will hear from Him In perfect fairness and justice, your will be done. And that's the challenge for you and for me. To hear the message. To realize, again, that if there is a God and a Satan, a heaven and a hell, the most dangerous thing you and I could walk away from here today believing is that we're on the right road when we're not. And so we have to come before him completely honest about ourselves and about what his word says And ask ourselves, are we on the right road? Are we depending on him to provide for us all that we need for this life and the life to come? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you did not remain distant and removed from us and from our experience, but that you entered into it through your Son, that you revealed to us your heart by your teaching, by your life, by your willingness publicly to lament and to cry, and to show us that you take no pleasure in the death of any one of us, in the judgment of any one of us, but that your heart is one that pursues us. Father, we thank you that even though we wander away from you, that you have been willing to come to us. I thank you for the celebration that today is for Dan and for David, for Josh and for Jeremy. But Father, I know they pray and we pray that today also be a day of celebration for others. that anyone here who is struggling to acknowledge the condition of their own heart and their need of you, 
that today could also be a day of celebration for them. Father, we thank you that you invite us. We thank you that you have sent people to us. And we pray that it would not be true of us like it was true of the Pharisees that we fail to change. Father, make this the day that changes every other one. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.